there's always that one kid in school that's like hey did you know if you pause this movie just right you could see her nipple like that is me i I was that kid i am still that kid i am still that kid Hey guys, welcome to the Video Express, where we dust off old VHS tapes and discuss all things horror, sci-fi, and exploitation. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. Let's get things rolling. Katie, tell our fine listeners what movie we are spotlighting on tonight's show. Well, uh, today we are headed down under with uh, The Howling 3, The Marsupials. Did you like my accent? Did I do it? Did I do it right? I hope I made every Australian listener proud. I worked really hard on that accent. Um, (laughs) Anyway, this movie uh, is from 1987, directed by uh, what's going to be a new show favorite, I think, Philippe Mora, (laughs) who also directed The Howling 2 um aka the howling 2 your sister is a werewolf aka the howling 2 stirba werewolf bitch so he's back and now he's in australia and and the werewolves are marsupials it says all you need to know in the title right there (laughs) does it though does it really i don't even know (laughs) if it actually scratches the surface of what's actually going on in this movie but just if you know anything about biology there you go. <laughs> Marsupial. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get into all the Aussie pouch fur covered fun, uh, Katie, why don't we uh, why don't we go into what's going on in the cinema world today? Yes. Um, so I have I have three movies to recommend today. And by the time people are actually listening to this, we're going to be probably in, in January of of or in the first part of 2021. So, uh, you know, these movies might have been out for a bit by the time you listen are listening to this. But with me, I feel like there's just so many movies coming out all the time. It's really easy to miss something, especially when there's like 10 different streaming services, all with their own exclusives and whatnot. So these are just a few movies that I think um, our listeners would be interested in. Um, so the first one is a Shutter exclusive that came out. Um, I think it only came out like a week ago at the time of me recording this. Um, It's called Anything for Jackson. I watched this movie the other day and it is absolutely batshit insane. And it's very fun. Um, So I'll I'll just read you, I'll read you the the blurb, the the tiny little blurb. And that's all I'm going to give you about it. A bereaved Satanist couple kidnap a pregnant woman so they can use an ancient spell book to put their dead grandson's spirit into her unborn child, but end up summoning more than they bargained for. So just take a moment and digest that. that. Yes. Um, so yeah, it it's a sweet it's a sweet old grandpa grandma and grandpa and and they're dabbling in shit that they don't need to be dabbling in and they get in way over their head and it's a good fun satanic time for everybody. 
I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of rumblings about it. Um, I haven't heard anybody say anything negative yet about it. I've heard mostly positive. I've heard mm-hmm. ranging from it being amazing to uh, good. I haven't, you know, really heard any middle of the road or or negative about it. So I, I you know, I definitely can't wait to check that one out. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, to each their own. I would say, I don't know if I'd say it's amazing, but it's definitely very good. And I would say it's one of the one of the better ones I've seen in in 2020. So yeah, definitely definitely look into that. Um, this next one is on Netflix, and it, it came out in October of 2020, I think, and it's called Vampires versus the Bronx. And this one is a little oh, bit more okay. lighthearted. Um, it's not a full on, you know, like gory, scary horror. It, it it definitely gives me some Monster Squad vibes, um, and it is about. Right a group of young friends who live in the Bronx and their neighborhood is um, slowly, you know, with each year becoming more and more gentrified. A lot of local businesses getting bought by kind of like bougie, like artisanal sandwich shops and, you know, whatnot. So they feel, you know, they feel the identity of their neighborhood is being stripped away. And then turns out um, that it's vampires that are doing the gentrifying. It's a group of vampires who are coming in and buying up all the property so that they can feast on the locals. Bougie vampires. Bougie vampires. Um, and they, and the kids got to band together and fight some vampires. And so it's very cute, very fun. Um, so the, that one, that one's a little bit more family friendly. I would say if you have, if you have kids who are into this kind of thing, you could definitely watch it with your, your kids. It's a little, you know, it's a little violent, but nothing too crazy. But I think any fan of horror specifically, if you liked kind of like the vibe of like the Goonies and Monster Squad and movies like that, you'll, you'll like this one. Cool. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often that we get that, um, that genre of movie anymore where it's, you know, the kids. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently. I actually, I, I saw, I, I wish I could remember who tweeted it, but somebody in horror Twitter land was tweeting about how they didn't, if they feel like kids now don't really have like kid friendly, like horror intro horror to, to, you know, get them into the genre now. Whereas like, you know, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, you know, we had monster squad and the Goonies and a ton of other like kid friendly adventure movies that had like these horror things right. to it. Um, so I think, yeah, this is definitely a, a return to that kind of feeling. I think the biggest problem is filmmakers and studios shy away from that specific genre just because of the track record of those types of movies. Like we all, we all, I mean, I don't know a single person that doesn't uh, absolutely love and cherish the monster squad. It's one of my all time favorite movies. But, you know, people forget that that movie was literally a box office bomb uh, when it hit theaters and it only mm-hmm. played in theaters. It only played in theaters for two weeks before it was pulled. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Monster Squad didn't find its audience until the you know VHS home video. And that's where it, it over the years picked up. And I and that's why I don't think there's many of these movies made now is just because people don't know if there's an audience for it or not. Um but I, I do wish there was more of it for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm hoping with, you know, streaming becoming, especially in 2020, becoming the only way to watch <laughs> movies right now. Um, right. You know, I'm hoping that people will, will be more willing to take that risk, um, especially. I mean, I think Vampires versus the Bronx did pretty well on on Netflix. And so, I mean, I, I would hope that it would inspire them to, to keep it up. Um. 
But the third recommendation I have today is a movie that I actually have not had time to sit down and watch yet, but I watched the trailer and I've heard enough buzz about it that I have a feeling that anyone listening to this podcast may be uh, very intrigued by it. So this is another, I don't know if it's a Shudder exclusive, but it, it, it was recently added to Shudder and it's called Porno. And it's from 2020, maybe maybe made in late 2019. Yeah, so I thought that'd have your attention. Um, So it's about uh, some, so they're teenagers that work at a movie theater in the early 90s in a small Christian town, uh, which Matt, that might resonate with you. (laughs) And they... They, they discover a mysterious old film hidden in the basement, and upon watching the film, they actually unleash a sex demon, a.k.a. a succubus, um, and all hell breaks loose from there. And it looks like super gory, super over-the-top, like just splatter movie, but also like really funny. Um, I, it just feels like kind of a callback to some, some grindhouse-y type type movies so i i again i haven't seen it myself so i can't give you an honest review but it seems really really awesome and i again i watched the trailer and i was just super into it (laughs) remind me um over christmas break to watch that because um i've I've not even seen the trailer and just you know what you said sounds fucking awesome and right up my alley so um you know yeah i thought of you when i saw the trailer (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, not to call myself out, but I, I've got a Shutter uh, subscription. But let's face it, I mostly have that for for Last Drive in Joe Bob Briggs, and I it's it, it's, it's yeah. bad of me it's bad of me to do this, but it's like when Joe Bob's not on, I forget to watch the channel. Um, and there's so much good shit on there that I need to straighten mm-hmm. my ass up and, and and get on the ball and watch these amazing <laughs> movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I try to watch Shutter as much as I can, but they've got so much stuff, and there's so many other uh, streaming services that I also use. Um, which, speaking of the 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 fourth recommendation I have is not a movie, but it is just a little tip for anyone uh, trying just to find good horror to stream. So. As I've been mentioning, there's so many streaming services, and if you subscribe to all of them, that can be a little pricey uh, per month. So, you know, depending on your situation, that could be a huge, a huge chunk of your your monthly income just to have a bunch of uh, things to browse and never pick anything to watch. Um, so, I was recently looking at Tubi, T U B I. They yeah. are a free streaming site. And their horror catalog is fantastic. They have some crazy out there. They have they have horror movies that I've not seen on other platforms or that I've only seen available. Like the only way to watch it is that you have to pay for it and rent it. Um, right. So you know if you're if you're not trying to fork out however much money a month on a streaming service and you're really looking to watch some horror movies, go check out Tubi T U B I. Um, not in not they've not endorsed us, but I just really like them. <laughs> yeah, I've been a I've been a I've been a flag waver of of Tubi for for like years now. Um, I watch Tubi at, at least at least four four days a week, um, just because not yeah. and not not just because of their horror selection. Um, you know, I you know me, I'm a giant kid and I love my cartoons. They also have uh, a fantastic catalog of. Uh, cartoons from the 70s 80s and 90s i mean how they've even got the mr t cartoon on there um 
so so much cool shit. Oh wow! Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, like the Image Comics cartoons that were like only ran for like one season in the nineties. They've got like the Wildcats and and those types of cartoons. So I mean, it's it's not they've like you said the horror selection is fucking fantastic, but they've got you know such a great catalog of everything. Mystery Science Theater, Rift Tracks episode. I mean, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's all it's all for fucking free, man. So. Yeah, if you if you're if you're I keep if you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, I keep waiting to find out what the catch is, but there isn't. Like you don't even have to make an account. You don't even right. have to give them your email. You just go there, and there's movies, and you watch them. And there are ads, um, but like, right. come on, I'll take a few ads to not have to give them my information and pay for it. So fuck yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for recommendations. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and just skip the stone right over to uh, the movie. Um, Katie, what did, did the, how many times have you seen this movie? Okay, so this is my second time watching it. It might as well have been my first time. The, fir- the So the first time I watched it was in high school. So that was probably like, oh my God, how long ago was that? Like 10, 12, 12 plus years ago, I think at this point. Um, <laughs> so, and literally all I remembered was the birth scene, which I think is what most people remember from this movie. So that was all yeah. I knew. Um, I had, and, and as I was watching it, there were a few scenes that kind of jumped out. I was like, Oh yeah, that, that, that part. Uh, but you know, this might as well have been my, my first time. And I thought it was interesting. You know, I, I think I really, I really like what they were going for. I like that it feels like they kind of embraced the the comedy aspect of this. They really played up the humor. Whereas like in the howling two, I feel like a lot of the humor was maybe unintentional or just due to like weird wonky editing and just like weird production mishaps. This was an, an intentionally funny movie. So some of that, I really think uh, made it a little bit more charming for me in the long run. Um, that being said, the plot as with any Philippe, Mora movie apparently is just a mess it's just all over the place there's too much happening um and you know we'll get into some details later but overall it's a i thought it was i thought it was fun i thought it was fun it made me laugh and it entertained me so it did its job um you know we we talked on the last episode when we were you know talking about howling Two. uh you know how i no exaggeration have seen that movie probably thousands of times um I I want to say I've 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 seen Howling three a shit ton as well. Um, not quite as much as <laughs> one or two, but I've I've seen it a lot. And the reason is um, that it was a staple of cable television growing up. Um, I watched Howling three for the first time on USA Up All Night with uh, I think it was I can't remember if it was Rhonda Shear or Gilbert Godfrey, but I do know it was on USA Up All Night. Um, and it was, like I said, it was a staple on cable television. It was always on. If it wasn't on USA, it was on some other channel. And I always watched it because when you're a kid, you you have, uh, I, I hate this term more than anything, but I'm going to use it, uh, the rose-colored glasses. Um, so, you're, you know, the, right. the nostalgia. The, the so when you're a kid and you're watching this type of movie, you're not picking up on the weird uh for lack of a better term, dumb shit <laughs> that's going on. You're 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 <laughs> you're kind of honed in on um, monsters and you know effects and and you know whatever. You're 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 there for the monsters if you're a kid like me. Um. So 
I, I will have to say this. It had been probably uh, a handful of years since I've watched Howling 3, and I just, you know, of course, watched it last week um, to gear up for this episode. <sighs> Man, I, I don't know. I, I used to I used to say that this was a guilty pleasure, even though I don't like using that, that phrase, guilty pleasure. Um, I used to love this movie, but watching it again, god damn, this was t- it was actually tough to sit through this time. Yeah, it's a bit of a slog. I think it really starts out promising. Like, I mean, I think promising may be t- too much, but it, it it's the first hour of the movie, you're like, all right, like, you know, it's kind of weird, kind of goofy, kind of wacky, but like, I'm on board. And then it just starts introducing too many plot points, I think. There just were too many things happening at once, and it just kind of became a mess in the third act. <laughs> but what I, mean, I find really interesting about this is... It, Oh yeah, the se- yeah. By the second act, it's just. <laughs> but what what I find interesting is that this um this was the only, I'm not sure if it's the only PG thirteen one in the whole Howling series or if it's just the first one. But but this was a departure of of tone from the first two, which were very gory, and then the second one, which was full of boobs, hairy, unhairy, all types. Um, whereas. This one has, I don't think there were any boobs, or if there were, it was like really brief, which is fine. Uh, but it, it's definitely a more toned down, uh, I don't want to say family friendly, but like when, by the time you get to PG 13, it's kind of like everybody's watching it. Um, so with that, I mean, it, it, it definitely. They toned down the gore, they toned down the sex, and they, to- they turned up the, the, the humor and just the ridiculousness of it. I do want to throw out um, that you said that you don't, you know, is there any boobs in this? I don't think so, but maybe there is. I, I will claim because you know how I am and the type of type of kid that I used to be growing up watching these types of movies um, that when I recorded this off of TV as a kid, um, I think I caught it like when I was around maybe like 11 on like HBO or some shit. Um, and I recorded it off of TV and if you pause it just right, you can see a little. <laughs> you, you can see a little bit of hairy boob. Uh, but this is there's always more. one. There's always that one kid in school that's like, "Hey, did you know if you pause this movie just right, you could see her nipple?" Like that is me. I, I was that kid. I am still that kid. I am still that kid. Um, also, now that I think about it, isn't isn't there actually a scene? I'm, I must have blocked it out where they show that she has many breasts, like as a dog might have. So that wasn't her. Or did I make that up? No, you did. You didn't make that up. Um, that wasn't her. That was the, um, you know, spoilers. Uh, that was the ballerina character when she's transformed. Ah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Well, yeah, she had a bunch. So I guess all of those. I don't know. I guess that counts. I guess having like eight, six boobs at once uh, makes up for like no boobs in the rest of the movie. I I guess. Um, yeah. I, I even wrote in my notes, the more the merrier. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, you know, let, let's I want to reflect a little bit on some on some points that I brought up last episode about Felipe Mora and the tone of the Howling 2. And I think I even said on last episode, uh, I was going to, when we talked about this one, some of the parallels. Uh, co- so like in the, la- in the last episode, we talked about the editing of Howling 2 and how it was just a fucking mm-hmm. hack job of mishmash shit, just kind of like scenes thrown together. And um, 
and and how there was no way in hell that the editor from the from the original John Carpenter's Halloween did that, and that it had that had to be you know interference by Felipe Mora, and then when you watch this one, Howling Three, while the editing is more coherent, you still see the weird, tacked on shit that doesn't really make sense, and you're just like, yeah, there's there's proof in the pudding right there that. Felipe Mora's fingerprints is all over that motherfucker when it comes to editing again, because it just, it's, it's another, this poorly, poorly stitched together movie. Yeah. And I mean, and, and and even editing aside, there's just things that happen that, that, okay. There's a specific point in the movie that I really need to talk about. And I really need to get your take on it. Cause I went back and rewound it and I watched the scene again and I was so confused. I was yelling at my TV. Okay. So will so towards the beginning, there's mm-hmm. a part where, uh, I believe it's professor Beckmeyer, uh, played by Barry Otto. Mm-hmm. He goes and he meets with the president of right. what we don't know. Could be America, could be a company, but he's just the president and he goes and he talks to him and they're like standing by, I, I think they're standing by like a big pool. I don't even know where they are. It doesn't matter. At yeah, one point in the conversation, they look over directly at the camera and then they say something. The president says something like, oh, right. This is like for documentation. And I go, hold up. Is this a right. documentary all of a sudden? What is happening? And then they cut to like a wide shot to show that they're standing in a room and there's nobody else there. And right. then moments later, he dismisses this cameraman and we never see them leave and it never does it again for the rest of the movie. So like, what the hell was that? <laughs> I I have no fucking idea. So <laughs> I actually have it written down in, in my notes. Talking to the camera slash fourth wall with a question mark. Um I've never understood that that part. I never will understand that part. Um, but yeah, it's just like, just it, randomly. It could be like a cheeky joke, but I don't, it's so random and it makes no sense and there's no reference to it later. So I just, I'm chalking it up to Philippe Mora is just a wacky guy. He's a wild and crazy guy, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> it, all right. You know, I, I feel like this entire episode is going to be me just kind of just bashing this movie. I don't, and, uh, and again, I don't want that to be what our show is about, about, you know, praising or bashing. I just, you know, just to have fun talking about it. Uh, but I, I just want to say, you know, you brought up how the tone of this movie has a, is complete shift from the first two. Well, I mean, let, let's be honest. The, the second one is a complete shift from the first one, but you're right. This one is uh, e- even yeah. more, even more, you know, away from, from what they established. But then you you said they ramped up the humor and I, I'm I'm not disagreeing. I'm just wondering even if that was intentional, because this this movie is just so fucking weird. And when I say that I love Howling Two for it being weird, that's because it's a fucking awesome weird. This movie is just flat out weird. Like it. Yeah. <sighs> I, I don't I don't I don't I don't even know where to begin. All right, so okay, I just well, want to talk about so, some. Well, first of all, let me just say 
I, I did just want to say that I, I was reading an interview that somebody did with Philippe Mora where he does say that this was 100% intended to be funny and that he didn't understand why so many people didn't understand that it that it was funny like he he was like i don't understand why people thought we were playing it straight because it was meant to be funny um but like we've talked before i think some of his choices specifically when it comes to editing because comedy is all about timing right and so i think some of the timing fell flat to the point where it kind of just looked like a bad movie instead of somebody trying to intentionally be funny. Um, right. There were some really funny lines in this movie though. And the, the one that I wrote down that made me really happy was uh, I think, I think it's at the beginning when they're, when they're in the, the U, there's like a U.S. government uh, organization that tracks werewolf sightings, apparently who knew. And uh, one of them says, yeah, <laughs> one of them says, uh, I got a weird feeling. And then the other guy says indigestion, and the other guy goes no fear, I, <laughs> and that made me laugh. I don't I know laughed, if that was meant to be funny, but I love that line. I laugh so hard because the the line isn't funny, but the timing is hilarious, and not because it's good comedy timing. <laughs> it's because it's actual t- like the most terrible timing <laughs> and the most terrible delivery, and I that's why I fucking laugh. So I you know let, let's. Like, like I said, yeah. I don't know if the humor was like 100% intentional, but I'm pretty sure that the, sh- the shit that I was laughing at was the shit that was not <laughs> intentional because, yeah, yeah um, there's a, there's a line and I can never remember Beckmeyer's buddy's name. The guy that's, that's like his tag team partner oh, that, because yeah. so Beckmeyer believes in everything. This other guy is kind of like a non-believer. Um, I don't remember the character's name. But uh, is it Professor Sharp? Oh, is it is it the other professor, Professor Sharp? Yeah, maybe so. But either way, he has this weird ass line where he's talking about a uh, a a UFO video <laughs> where uh, well, the UFO was, a, was a condom filled with dog shit and a flashlight. Who the fuck? I am line? obsessed with that line. It's incredible. It's so so for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, I don't remember the exact conversation, but I think the context is this this professor saying that like he used to believe in the fantastical until he saw a UFO video that turned out to just be a condom filled with dog shit with and a, a flashlight. Flash- yeah. And I was like, first of all, who even is there are so many ways to fake a UFO that doesn't involve any shit at all. Any shit from any animal, human, dog, <laughs> you don't need that to fake a UFO. Um, so I would love to know if that's based on something real or if it just came out of Philippe Mora's really weird brain. Yeah. Um, all right. So let, let me, let me hop on track real quick. Um, so I, I just want to start off like with the beginning of the movie and like some of my thoughts about, about the movie overall. So we were talking about the whole weird fourth wall breaking where they look at the camera and all that shit. It's funny because mm-hmm. at the very start of the movie, like the first frame of the movie, um, it shows this footage uh, that's supposed to be, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me. It's like travel footage. I'm not sure if it's Africa or, or Australia, but it's like these, these, these travel people dancing around a werewolf is tied to a post. Um, and then it cuts to footage of 
of this guy that's walking through like four feet of snow in Siberia and he's attacked by something off screen that we don't see. And then it cuts to uh, our, our, our main character, uh, Beckmeyer, who's a professor, who's showing the footage of the tribe that's got the werewolf at the stake. Um, I just thought it was weird, though, that before we get to Beckmeyer, when it shows those two different pieces of footage, when it cuts from one to the other, it's like a weird like sound that they throw in the editing of the cut to make it almost seem like you're changing the channel. So I don't know if, if that... <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I don't know if that tie in to us, the fourth wall break of watching them on a camera. I, I don't fucking know. Um, that's that's neither here nor there. If you've never seen the movie, watch it. Tell us what the fuck you think is happening with, with, with this whole thing. Um, but I do want to bring up one thing. Uh, the uh, the tribal footage that, that Beckmeyer is showing... Uh, that, that's got the, like I said, I don't know if, if it's supposed to be Africa or where it's at. I, I, I can't recall. But I do think that the werewolf that's tied to the stake is cool. Um, it's supposed to be in 1905. Now, it's, it's 100% obviously a, a mask, but um, it's very dog soldiers-like yes. in, in, in its face. So, like, it's, it's stuff like that. And like, like I said, I don't want to rip this movie apart, you know, for the next hour and a half. I, I will I will say that this movie is a complete mind boggler, but that's not to say that there's not some cool shit in it. Like there there is some cool moments peppered throughout yeah. the movie, and uh, you know I like I don't want I don't want to dwell on like just the bad shit. So um, of course, yeah, will... yeah. There's definitely some charming parts in this movie. Um, but you know you brought up you brought up Mr. President, so you know the ni the nia finds uh i guess finds out that this guy in siberia was attacked by a werewolf so they alert the president but the president um is never says never says who he's who who he is like we just know he's the president and they refer to him as mr president but we (laughs) we don't know if he's president of the united states um or if, if cuz it's an Australian movie is the president of Australia but you know the, the actor is Michael Pate who was in a lot of fucking westerns and shit but it's it's, it's so oh. fucking off the wall but yeah i all right here's my thing the whole movie doesn't make a lick of sense to me because we got a werewolf attack in Siberia so they alert professor Beckmeyer who's basically i guess um you know an expert on werewolves. So Mr. President, who again, we don't know of what gets in contact with Beckmeyer to put him on the case of finding these werewolves. However, we never fucking go back to Siberia ever. Nope. He just goes straight to, uh, so I think if I remember correctly, I think and I would need to look this up again. Um, but I believe that the footage uh, that that they keep showing is Aboriginal footage from Australia. Okay. And I want to say, and I could be getting my plot points confused, but I want to say that it that it is Beckmeyer's grandfather's footage because his grandfather used to invest was also into this, and he like 
disappeared i think i don't know some something to do with that footage has like sparked this obsession in in beckmeyer so even though he was assigned to this task in siberia he somehow is like in the back of his head obsessed with the idea of marsupial werewolves and is it's like just, i gotta find them <laughs> it's just plot after plot after plot after plot after plot and none of the plots even go together it's it's, it's so weird yeah um but you know I, I, so after we're introduced to beckmeyer and his sidekick the other professor guy and they're you know they're they're basically i guess tasked by the by the government by the president who of what don't know uh, to find, you know, werewolves and, or, and eradicate them or, or whatever they're trying to do. Uh, the the scene then shifts to a village in in, uh, in Australia called Flo, um, which is fucking wolf spelled backwards. Uh, so clever. Meet, yeah, clever motherfucker. Uh, where we meet uh, Jerboa Jerboa and her, her tribe. What of, a name. Oh, my fucking God, that name. Um, where we meet, where we meet her rapey stepfather, um, and uh, a bunch of werewolf women, and I guess she she runs away because her stepfather is trying to rape her, and she hops on a bus to go into the big city, and she's being trailed by werewolf nuns. I that all that just came out of my mouth sounds like some shit that somebody would make up, but here we are yeah werewolf i love the werewolf nuns and i and i didn't realize until until i until i very recently actually when i was like rereading some of the plot points that i think that aren't those like her sisters who are trying to get her and bring her back and they're just like disguised as nuns yeah um they are they're i I don't know that they were sisters or just like half sisters. (laughs) they're just part of the flow community um yeah, but for whatever reason, they they're just dis- they disguise themselves as nuns, um, to go to go hunt down yeah I, Draboa, I, Draboa. I got really excited at first before they reveal that they're werewolves. I was like, hell yeah, it's the Christian Avengers back again, and this time <laughs> it's three sassy nuns, and they're here to kick some werewolf ass. And then they ended up turning into werewolves, which I didn't like as much, but is still very funny. <laughs> it's just very fun. <laughs> I and they show up to this like Halloween party, <laughs> this costume party, and like the everybody just assumes that they're in costume. It's fantastic. I, I wrote down in big letters and underlining uh, werewolf nuns because um, I had a couple drinks while I was watching this, uh, hoping it would help the viewing experience. As you do. It, it did not, by the way. Uh, but I write, when I wrote down mm. werewolf nuns, I kept having this image in my head, and I'm sure somebody's either already done this or they're going to do this. I would do it, but somebody will beat me to the punch. I kept having this image in my head of a werewolf nun like reaching under her skirt and pulling out a machine gun and just like mowing people down. And I chuckled to myself because I was like, I was like that random image that just popped in my head that like that random 10 second image in my head is better than than this entire fucking movie. That's incredible. Um, Any aspiring filmmakers listening, uh, there's a free tidbit. (laughs) There's a free idea. Um, All right. Well, so we're, we're, we're steadily kind of going through the movie. Tell me what you thought. Like, so when Jerboa, Jer- tell me what you, th- before we get to any further, how do you feel about Jerboa Jerboa, who's our, our lead actress, our main um, chick? 
So I actually really like her. I really mm-hmm. like, um, I believe her name is Imogen, Imogen Ansley. Yep. And um, she was one of the saving points for this movie for me. I think she's she's very cute. She's very pretty. She's like a great leading lady. And she did, as far as acting goes, I thought she like did about as well as anyone can do in a movie where you have to give birth to a fake marsupial werewolf baby in a barn um so i think she did as 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 great as she could with the script that was given to her um as a character i mean i don't know she's just kind of there with this whole movie all the characters are just kind of there they're just they don't really have a lot of depth to them um but she was very fun to watch and i think that they Philippe Mora was trying to make the the werewolves less of the villains and more of like our protagonists and a little bit oh, more yeah. sympathetic. So I think I think casting her was a good idea. Um, and okay, I have I have a quick side note about Imogen Ansley that I found out uh, literally 15 minutes before we started recording, and I yelled uh, from my room because uh, I got so excited. So I was looking up her IMDb. Queen of the Dam. Because I thought, you know, she... Yes! Oh my god! Okay, yes. Okay, so if anyone is a little baby goth like me who was coming of age during the aughts uh, and, you know, grew up reading Anne Rice and then watched the uh, the classic movie Queen of the Damned, which maybe one day we will discuss. <laughs> um, I, the... There is a scene in that movie, and it, I'm trying to, to jog your memory for anyone who's seen it. They go to the like they go to a vampire club, and there is a vampire in a British flag dress who gets exploded by Akasha, and that vampire in the British flag dress is none other than Jerboa Jerboa. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, like I said, I, I mentioned last episode how I like doing this because I'm kind of leaving you as the technical person that gets to look up all the fun, fun shit. And I'm just the, the guy that watches it, drinks a beer and then just throws out shit that I already knew. And, um, I'm, I'm nowhere near an Anne Rice fan. Like you are like, that's, that's one thing that I've always known about you since I've known you is how much you love interview mm-hmm. with the vampire and Anne Rice and everything. And of course, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I, I'm not really a big fan at all. Um, I do, I do, <laughs> I do like queen of the damned, um, it's probably been uh, a good 10 years or more since I've last watched it, but I do, I saw it in theaters and I, you know, of course I had the soundtrack cause that's a fucking amazing soundtrack, but I remember, oh, it's great. I remember watching queen of the Dam in, in the theater. And, uh, when Jaboa Jaboa sh- showed up, I was like, I know that girl, where the fuck have I seen her before? And I think it was probably like three, three hours later, laying in bed, reading a Fangoria. And I probably just set up for my bed. And I was like, fucking jerboa jerboa i love it um and then i have i have one more side fact regarding the role of jerboa and then we can continue discussing the rest of the characters um but okay if you recall in our last episode we had a brief aside where we discussed how rev brown uh before he was an actor he was a football player and he almost made the nfl but he lost his spot on the team to none other than oj simpson so we briefly imagined a universe where oj simpson uh where where Red Brown took O.J. Simpson's spot, and O.J. Simpson perhaps never became a famous uh, 
famous many things. We won't go into it. Uh, but so <laughs> as I was looking up things for this movie, I discovered that none other than Nicole Kidman was considered for the role of Jerboa. No. And I looked at her IMDb. I looked up what what was she doing in 1987, she and she had not yet. Yeah, well, yeah, she so she hadn't quite. Uh, I don't think she'd quite broken into like the worldwide or like American film scene yet. So she was still, but she was you know acting regularly in in Australia, and yeah. she starred in a min, in an Australian miniseries in 1987 called Vietnam, where her co-star who played her husband was none other than Barry Otto, who plays professor Harry Beckmeyer. So oh. that is her connection to the howling three. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say around that time, I don't know what year it was. I know that um, the only thing that I could recall around the really early eighties that Nicole Kidman did was uh, like, I think it was called like BMX, BMX bandits or, or some shit like that. But um, I mean, yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Cause you know, she's of course an Australian actress. Um, but how how much of a different movie, or her how her career could have changed drastically for the worse if she had been her yeah. Boa Jerboa? Yeah, I mean seriously, I don't know if she would have ever gotten to Days of Thunder if she had made this movie, and and then it makes me think: Would Jerboa Jerboa would Imogen Ansley become? Would they have just traded spots? Would she have ended up married to Tom Cruise? Would she have ended up in Moulin Rouge and Eyes Wide Shut? We'll never know, but it's fun to imagine. That is fun to imagine. Um, especially because, you know, one, the one word that I wrote down beside uh, Imogen Ansley was BABE in all capital letters and underline. Um, yeah, she's a super babe. She is beautiful, man. Like, she's one of those, uh, she's one of those characters slash actors that, when she's on screen, it's hard to take your eyes off of her. Um, she's got she's mm-hmm. got that natural beauty about her that just you know you, your eyes stay glued to her, and uh, and you know everybody's got different tastes and 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 everything. Uh, but I thought it was funny how my thoughts had not changed at all about her since I first saw this movie. Was when she's like you know still kind of like got the tussled hair and like no makeup and running around barefoot is when I thought she was the most beautiful. And then later on in the movie when she's all like dolled up and red lips, red lipstick and, and, you know, glimmering, glamoury. I was like, damn, she was hotter. Like the other way, but that just shows. I I agree. Yeah. It's, it actually works best for her (laughs) that way. But that just shows like how naturally beautiful she is because like, like I said, she's running around, basically dirty and barefoot and looks amazing. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's yeah. About- I mean, and it looks like just lo- looking, Oh, sorry, sorry. But oh, just looking through her IMDb one more thing, you know, it, it looks like she did uh, work pretty steadily up until like 2009. Um, it's just nothing. I just feel like she w- w- has been super underrated and she deserved to be a bigger star than she was. And I, I hope that it wasn't this movie that, that tanked it, for her but it you know it might have been <laughs> it could have very well been um well i was gonna say let's talk about her love interest but let's actually uh let's let's reel let's reel it back just just a hair uh let's talk about uh, uh about beckmeyer who is technically in my eyes our our lead our lead uh our lead guy here um what, what did you think of his character 
Barry, uh, Barry Otto, Professor Beckmeyer, our Australian mm-hmm. werewolf expert, and all around. <laughs> I have no idea because I don't even know what the fuck he's supposed to be doing. Um. Well, r- I will say real quick, similar to The Howling 2, it, it, to me it is very unclear who the protagonist of this movie is because for part of it it's Jerboa and then the other part of it it's Beckmeyer, but they don't actually interact with each other that much throughout the movie. Um, but just looking at, at, you know, looking at Professor Beckmeyer on his own, um, he... He's a really good like driving force for the plot. I'm using big air quotes around the word plot, but I mean he does get things going. He he at least helps, you know, go from one thing to the next and he also is really good at like exposition, so he just like explains a lot of stuff that's happening. Uh, like that's that, that you know, and it still doesn't fully make sense, but I feel like that's that's what he was for this uh for this movie was he was just like the exposition guy. He was there because they knew this movie didn't make a lick of fucking sense. So they're like, we'll just make him be the guy that knows everything and explains it to us. Yeah. I I will say that um that strictly as like a professor and a scientist, he's a little unethical uh, because he just decides to just make out with the patient that he's studying in the middle of the of the examination room. Uh that she was also a werewolf. I don't know. It's like he's so obsessed with werewolves that he fell in love with one. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. We'll, 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 let me get to that in a second. Um, yeah. Well, see, yeah. it's like every time you can't talk, you can't talk about one part of this movie without then branching off into like 10 other plot points of this movie. Cause there's I, just so much happening. I wrote it down. I don't know if you can see it right here, but I wrote it down that, um, this is going to be tough to do an episode on because the, the plot is moving. <laughs> the plot is moving in every breakneck speed direction possible that it's hard for us to even break down what's happening. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump off. Let's jump off of Beckmeyer, who's played by Barry Otto, which by the way is in one of my, um, one of my favorite Marvel superhero movies. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the other, I guess, quote unquote protagonist. Let's talk about Jerboa Jerboa's love interest, uh, Donnie Martin. Yeah, so he he is such a uh lovable idiot. <laughs> like he really is just completely oblivious for so much of this movie. It it's so funny how he just doesn't <sighs> Okay, so to give some context for those of you who haven't seen the movie, he meets Jerboa Jerboa, and he's like, he just sees her sleeping on a bench with no with no shoes, looking like a feral woman, and he's like, you should be in movies, and I'm working on a movie, and you're going to be the star of it. And apparently that's how, that's how the movie industry works in Australia in the 80s. So <laughs> shortly after... They, you know, sort of fall in love, sort of, and uh, they they end up they end up sleeping together. And after sleeping together, while while she is asleep and he is awake, uh, you know, lovingly watching her sleep, he discovers a hairy marsupial pouch on her stomach. And I'm just wondering, first of all, why didn't you notice that before? 
And then the second part is that upon discovering this, he's just like, huh, okay. And then later when she's like, I'm having your half human, half marsupial werewolf son that's coming out, that lives in this pouch now. He, the whole time he just reacts to everything like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you, you said lovable, like dimwit or whatever. Like, I, is he even that, yeah. that lovable? But, uh, you know, it's funny you, you bring oh, up. Oh, I was being nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you bring up that, uh. You know, he, he just he just sees her on, on this fucking park bench and is like, oh, you're beautiful. You've got to be in this movie that I'm working on. I wrote down that he noticed that she was fucking hot from like three miles away because he was in his goddamn car Seriously. driving by hey, and like slammed on the brake. He's got 2020 like, vision for babes. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, he wasn't wrong. I'll give him that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, so uh, literally I wrote, I wrote down some timelines here. So it's roughly 12 hours after he finds her on the park bench that they have sex. And Oh, uh, my. Yeah. It's, a, it's roughly 12 hours. And when, when she's asleep laying beside him and he's, like, loving, like you said, lovingly, like, checking her out, he starts, like, literally fiddling with her the hair on her stomach. Um, I noticed that the pouch isn't formed yet. It's just, like, a weird, like, slit line. That's in her stomach. And the, the pouch yeah. hasn't formed yet. And you're right. He just like, it's just like, not, it's not like twirling her stomach hair, but he's just like playing with it. And it's just like, why is he not thinking this is the weirdest fucking shit ever? Because I'm telling you. You know man, what? I think, you know what? He was just progressive for his time. He was super body positive And he was like, you know what? You might have a little body hair, but I'm cool with it. Cause you're super hot. And so maybe for that reason, he's, Look, he's a hero in my book. <laughs> you can be, you can be slicker than a marble down there, or you can look like fucking Afro samurai down there. I, I don't care. But when you've got that shit creeping up your fucking stomach, uh, that's what I'm gonna have to fucking throw on the red. Well, and, and it's really it's the pouch. It's the pouch. That's really just it. It's like it's like you know some people are hairier than others. It happens, and and it's perfectly normal. And then and then there's the pouch though, and that's really the part that I'm wondering why he just kind of glossed over and was like, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so so for for people listening that has not seen this movie. So this guy, this uh, Donnie Martin. He works. Uh, he works on a movie that's being shot uh, in this in this city that Jerboa Jerboa just just fucking literally landed in, and uh, the the movie I think is called was it Shapeshifters Part Eight? Shapeshifters Part Eight, and they wear okay. everybody on the crew has these amazing t shirts, and I really want one of them. I was thinking of making them for us. Okay, well, uh, yes, yeah. I want one. <laughs> uh, I, I wrote down in my notes that it's pretty bad that the movie the the fake movie within a movie that they are working on looks more fun and better than the actual movie that we're watching. Yes, it does. And not only the movie that they're working on, but the movie that they go see in the theater called It Came From Uranus. I was like, I want to see that movie. Whatever the hell that was, I want to yes. see two hours of that instead of this movie that I'm currently stuck in. <laughs> yeah, so the, the It Came From Uranus looks amazing. And the the stuff that's, that's in that uh, fake movie within a movie looks like like i said like that even looked better than the actual movie that we're watching yeah uh but yeah anyway donnie is uh he 
I barely even remember him in this movie because he just so doesn't super contribute to the plot. He kind of just becomes Jerboa's arm candy throughout the movie. He's just kind of there to to be her love interest and I don't know. And you know what? Again, maybe that's super progressive because in the 80s it was usually uh, just some random woman that was the love interest that was given no depth or anything. So I don't know. Maybe they turned the tables. I'm trying to just give this movie the benefit of the doubt, man. You're trying so hard. Um, I'm trying. I, I, I would say I would say that maybe they're trying to be progressive and do something new. But then, but then, like I want to talk about another character. Uh, this guy Philo, who is the uh, the mm. head the head of the werewolf tribe from the from the village of Flo in Australia. Philo is. All right, so he is the stepfather to Jarboa, and as far as we can tell, we don't know if he's also the father slash stepfather of the other females that's in the in the tribe. Um, I don't know what his relation is to the werewolf nuns, but they're all they're all together. So basically, it never really comes out and says, but he wants to fuck his stepdaughter. Philo wants to fuck Jarboa Jarboa, yeah. and and I guess. <sighs> To me, and maybe it came off different to you, to me it seems like this isn't the first time. Like, maybe it's happened before. And, like, she just was... She was not having it anymore. And that's why the fuck she got out of there? I don't know. Yeah, it feels like... It feels like that he is very controlling and abusive of all of these werewolf women in his... uh, In his group cult. I I don't... Okay, I even wrote down... uh, while I was watching this movie, I was like, what the hell is this random, like, road warrior group of people? And then I looked up the actor who played Thilo, Max Fairchild, and he sure was enough, in he road was in Road Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was actually, um, he was, what am I? So, Mad Max, the the original, the first Mad Max, is one of my all-time favorite movies. And um, I know people like the Road Warrior and, and all the sequels more uh, because it's more post-apocalyptic than Mad Max. But I love Mad Max just because mm-hmm. it's such a fucking like gritty and like heart ripping movie. But uh, so the the actor that plays this this Philo that plays Jabo Jabo's raping stepfather, um, that's, that's Max Fairchild, and he's in the, he's in a slew of uh, Australian movies. Like this entire cast is Australian, of course. But yeah, he he's I feel like him mm-hmm. and uh, Barry Otto were the two probably biggest names, in, in the whole film. Um, but the thing, the thing about Philo is he's obviously an asshole. He's a terrible person. He has either already raped or is trying to continue to rape his stepdaughter, Jaboa Jaboa, who is our lead actress. So like from the get go, from, from step one, we hate this motherfucker. We don't like him, but for some weird ass reason around like the halfway of the the third act they try to redeem him and make him likable and try to make him like almost Mm -hmm. like the hero and i'm just like i don't understand that choice whatsoever if anything yeah i don't i don't get it it's just too that's that's a lot of heavy lifting for for uh, for one character to do it's like you can't maybe in the 80s is different but i mean i feel like especially now you can't introduce a character as a serial rapist and then have them redeemed an hour and a half later with 
like right. without some really intense heavy lifting and even after that i don't know man so yeah that was a really weird shift for me and that so when that happens in the movie that's kind of when that wasn't what triggered it but like that's that happens during the time in the movie when my eyes started to glaze over a little bit and i started to be like there's what is happening anymore <laughs> yeah i it's so weird like it's so many weird choices but i like how i don't, I don't know if it, if it was meant to but we have i mean we're, we're still going through fucking characters in this movie like jesus christ uh, we still got to talk about was it Olga, the Russian uh, werewolf ballerina. Yes. So, yes. you know, not not to like jump ahead, but we, we've got Philo, this leader of the the wolf cult, who's trying to fuck his stepdaughter, who's first after his stepdaughter, but then finds this ball- Russian ballerina werewolf, and they fall in love with each other, and. Th- it just it creates a completely separate and new plot point that's brought in with. So we've got Australian werewolf tribe marsupials. We've got Russian ballerina Mars, you know, well, she's not a marsupial. She's just a, like a, a regular werewolf. Um, she's a regular. Yeah. And you got the government people that's after them. You've got Barry Otto who's a professor is trying to, I don't know, I guess protect them. You've got your Boa Jaboa that's now pregnant with a chicken nugget at first. Um, <laughs> so uh, that, that's something I want to let's talk about this real quick. So Jaboa Jaboa gets pregnant, right? So she meets Donnie Martin um, while she's on the park bench. He tells her that she's great for this movie that he's working on, Shapeshifters Part 8. He brings her on as an actress where she meets the director of this movie that looks like a Dollar Tree version of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, yes. Which that actor, by the way, is in uh, also in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, uh, sweet! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, they, she just blindly is like, okay, you know, we got this bitch from a a, a tribe, and deep in the heart of Australia that's running around barefoot, but now all of a sudden she's an actress in this fucking horror movie. Um, twelve hours later, her and 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 Donnie are fucking. And then another about eight hours later, they have a rap party for the movie where there's a costume uh, party and her and Donnie, I guess, fuck again behind the stage of this of this room where she runs out and gets hit by a car off camera and they take her to the hospital where the doctors where the doctors proclaim that she's fucking pregnant. Okay, so are you with me so far? I'm okay. I just wanted to pop in real quick and say if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie and you are confused, I want you to know that we've seen the movie and we are also very confused. <laughs> I've seen the movie multiple times and I'm still confused. I just, technically, I have too, and I'm still very confused. So, um, if the movie wasn't already a mindfuck, let me let me let me throw this out at you. So, so far, I've, I've brought us up to speed. To, she was hit by the car. She's in the hospital. Uh, uh, Beckmeyer gets notified of this werewolf bitch that's, that's in the hospital. He shows up, realizes that she's a marsupial werewolf, and that she's pregnant. Now, I want to I wanna throw this question out to you, okay? The doctors and professors do say that since she's a half-breed human marsupial werewolf, 
that her metabolism is different, right? But Mm -hmm. I guess that's them trying to explain how she's pregnant. But I throw this out to you. It's only been about 12 hours since she first had sex with Donnie. Is the baby his or is it Thylo's? That is a thought. That is a very, that's good. So, I mean, that that kind of leads back to the question you asked earlier. Is is Thylo a repeat abuser of her or is this right, something exactly. new? And now that, you men, now that you've mentioned all of this, um, I think... I'm going to change what I said originally. And I'm going to say that I think that he was very controlling and probably very like physically and verbally abusive to her, but had not yet been sexually abusive to her, but was very making it very known that he intended to be uh, because in that first scene where she, where she's on the bus and somebody asks like what happened to her or something, she just very like casually is just like, Oh, my stepfather is trying to rape me and he's a werewolf. So it's actually a, it's a it's a it's a priest that's on the that's on the bus that's asked to ask her yeah so i mean i don't i mean i do think that the metabolism was the whole bit about metabolism was trying to somehow explain although i don't know how a fast metabolism would mean that your baby would grow faster but but i guess i don't know i don't know i'm not, you know i'm not a scientist if anyone is if anyone is listening that is a biologist please let us know uh if your take on the science behind this marsupials that can tell us how their anatomy works please tell us please please uh, tell I, me I, i'm going to make my stance and say um i i i think thylo is actually the father and here is why not only because of the timeline but and this is spoilers and this is jumping ahead but fuck it this movie's a mess anyway it doesn't matter um we learn that thylo and his tribe is of a certain breed of marsupial werewolves so we keep saying the word werewolf when in fact they're not actually werewolves they're like uh so the the animal that they represent is the Tas- the tasmanian tiger which is a, a, a now extinct mm-hmm. animal from Australia. And those animals had these, uh, these certain stripes on the back, their back end. So uh, Thilo says later on that uh, the, the shapeshifter God or whatever it is who passed on his powers to this tribe, he was a Tasmanian tiger. All right. So that would, that would make, I guess, Jerboa Jerboa one, but we never see her strike, mm-hmm. right? But when she gives birth to the baby, the baby has the Tasmanian tiger stripes, the same as Thylos that we do see later. So everything you're saying makes perfect sense. The problem is that the movie does not make sense. <laughs> so I truly think while that logically with the information that was presented to us makes the most sense. I truly think that the intent of the movie was that Donnie fathered this werewolf baby and they tried to just throw in a line about metabolism to explain why it's growing so freakishly fast. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. Uh, speaking of which, I want to roll back to something real quick and you're going to be like, of course you want to roll back to this. Uh, the, the very first time they have sex. <laughs> of course. It, did, was there like a heat wave 
in that room with no AC. There's so much sweat. There's too there much sweat. So much it's everybody's so sweat. sweaty. It's disgusting. I, so I, I just was watching this and like, is that supposed to be? I've, it's got to smell so bad in that room. They've got to be so smelly. <laughs> and they're cuddling. They're cuddling afterwards. I was like, no sane person covered in sweat to the point where it's like dripping off of your nose is going to be like, let's cuddle. That's disgusting. So yeah, that was the least sexiest thing I've ever seen. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a very um, like visual like person. In other words, like, I don't know how to explain how my brain works, but like somebody will tell me something and all of a sudden when they're telling me whatever, like whether it be a story or a scenario or, or anything, I automatically visualize it and like it plays out in my fucking head. Right. And I'm also the same way when I'm watching a movie, like if there, like if there was like an abundance of something happening in a scene, like I'll like, almost like develop a sense of what's happening in that scene. And I'm not going to, and what mm-hmm. I mean by that is when I was watching this scene where they're just literally just dripping with sweat, I started getting like the hint <sighs> of the old locker room in my fucking high school gym. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm just like, and it's got to smell okay, like that in here. I also, I, I think that you, you, I think that you went to the same high school that I briefly went to uh, a few years later and can confirm that the locker room was still disgusting. See, I don't know what the what the what the ladies' locker room smelled like, but the guys, it was just. And I'm sure. Oh every no, no, no! I'm telling you that you could smell the you could smell the boys' locker room from outside of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And that's how that's that's how that whole scene smelled. That's yeah, how that whole room that's smelled. Whole, I, I, for a brief minute and a half, I smelt my old fucking gym locker room. While watching Howling 3, if that tells our audience any fucking thing about this movie. Disgusting. Um, yeah, there are definitely some choices made with that. And it was very, <laughs> very unsexy. Um, yeah, I. It, it's so funny to, to watch this movie right after The Howling 2, which is so horny. Like, there's just so <laughs> much. There's a, there's a werewolf orgy. There's, like, three werewolf threesomes. There's, like, so many boobs. They're just over and over and over. And, 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 and it's like, yeah, they're all covered in hair, but it's still shot in a way that's, like... I don't want to say that it's super sexy, but it's better than just this sweat dripping, yes. like swamp room that they've created. For them. Um, you know, we were talking about like the uh, the the jarring editing and and shit uh, earlier. I also want to bring up like uh, just some of the camera the camera choices. Like there was a couple shots where they use like a fucking like weird ass fish eye lens, and it, yeah. It, it's like even that was jarring as shit. This entire this movie should not be called Howling Three: The Marsupials. It should be called Howling Three: Jarring as Fuck because that's what this movie is. Yeah, I did have one more character that I wanted to touch on briefly, just because he has one of the funniest lines I've ever heard. I heard in this whole movie, and that was the character of Kendi, which is the um, the Aboriginal man with the big beard that they meet at the farm, and he's he's amazing and so i don't long story short he does some sort of ritual to like resurrect the spirit of a wolf to like attack the military people that are 
that are coming for the werewolf baby and he dies in the process and so as he's dying you know it's what could be you know maybe a poignant scene of this lovable character dying and jerboa runs over to him and is like i don't remember exactly what she says but she says something to the effect of like you're going to become a rainbow and you're going to be a, a waterfall when you die. It's going to be so beautiful. And he goes, no way. I'm just going to die. And then, <laughs> and then he does. keels over. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. I love it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, yeah. And, and, and that, it's like little moments like that where you're like, there's the intentional comedy. There it is. I see it. And they actually nailed it in that particular scene. Uh, he, he honestly is my uh, favorite part of the entire movie. I'm glad we're finally getting around He's to him. Fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely. He reminds me of uh, the Aboriginal guy from Crocodile Dundee. And um, I, I don't think it's the same guy. But um, uh, he's absolutely my favorite character and part of this entire movie, which really says something when he's only in the movie for probably a total of like you know, 12 minutes. Um, oh, yeah. He's hardly in it. Very yeah. underutilized. But uh, I, I do want to bring up to, to people listening this specific part uh, with this character. So like Katie said, you know, he prays to like this, this shape-shifting god to turn him into a werewolf so he can attack these hunters and and people that's that's hunting them down in the Australian outback, so he turns into like this uh, this werewolf that looks actually pretty cool because it's like caked in like white Aboriginal like tribal makeup with like red like red mm-hmm. um, markings and shit on its face, and it's like tearing these werewolf dudes up, and then he gets killed or you know, he gets you know fatally wounded, where Jaboa Jaboa tells him he's going to you know be a rainbow, and he's like no I'm not I'm gonna die, and he just fucking dies. Well, then they give him um, the Darth Vader funeral, where they put you know cover him in stuff yes, and, and, and set him on fire and shit, and then they just walk away, leaving this fucking corpse to burn. But then, like what, ten minutes later, the the hunters and the military guys like they show up and they find his burnt corpse. That's just a skeleton now. It's a it's a burnt blackened skeleton, but the head is of a wolf skull and out of fucking nowhere the skeleton sits up and starts attacking these fucking guys and it's like the coolest fucking moment in the entire goddamn movie and i wrote down this 10 minutes makes the movie worth it it's so great yeah i definitely recommend um if you're gonna i i if you're gonna watch this movie fucking commit stick to it just watch the whole thing your eyes are gonna start glazing over and you're gonna be confused just let the confusion wash over you just so you can get to that scene because it's a lot of fun um so uh let's talk about uh real quick olga the uh the the russian ballerina werewolf i love saying that russian ballerina werewolf because that that, that could be its own fucking movie too um but i like how like she's got like this um I don't know if it's like a, a shared like ESP with Philo that they know each other exists and they want a mate or, or whatever. But I love how the guy that she's with, like when they're at the, the theater, like she's behind stage getting ready to go out to perform her dance. They're backstage talking. Yeah. And he draw he draws like this most like poorly drawn caricature of Philo and holds it up to her and she just gets horny as fuck. 
all off this like she's loving it and she's making like these like weird ass like rawr, rawr, sounds like why she's horny as shit. it's so weird this folks so i i was so confused right. by that i i feel like yeah it's a so i think that's like her weird psychic friend and was like i'm gonna draw the the man that you're trying oh it's that part is so just yada 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 and they don't explain it at all but yeah you're right she's got this like psychic connection to thylo for some reason and and decides that that's the the man that she's going to seek out and then she has this freaking great transformation scene in the middle of the sydney opera house uh while performing a ballet (laughs) and it's it's so comical because as she's twirling spinning it's it's a different phase of uh transformation and had that been shot Mm -hmm. right and the makeup been better that could have been such a great transformation but it just turned out just to be goofy as fuck yeah it's pretty wacky it could have been cool though i i I agree i think it had a cool it was a cool idea i like the idea of like she's you know she's spinning around so fast that you know the the people the other people on stage aren't really noticing that she's changing but you know we the audience can see that every time she spins back around she's a little bit more she's a little bit hairier she's a little bit more werewolf like um but yeah then once she fully transforms it's a little underwhelming well, like again, it's really hard to streamline what this movie is about and try to tell you people listening everything because, like again, it's all over the fucking map. But uh, you know, now now now, now circle back around to Jorboa being pregnant. Um, so the werewolf nuns finally kidnap her and take her back to to Australia or back to the village of Flow, um, where she <laughs> proceeds to uh. As soon as she gets there, run away again <laughs> to a barn to give birth to her baby. And and this is this is my like I laugh so hard every time I watch this, just because she gives birth to a fucking chicken nugget. Like the her baby <laughs> her baby werewolf, okay, is literally the size the size of a fucking chicken nugget. And it's hairless and it just looks like it's the weirdest looking thing. It's it just boggles my mind the the choice they made for making the baby look like that and be that fucking small. Like I, it should just popped out like the normal yeah. like a normal baby size. But anyway, like this so little bitty. I think the, I think the intention. The intention behind the chicken nugget, I think, was to play up the whole marsupial thing because, like, I guess when, like, Kang... Oops, sorry. Bumped the mic. Hello, professional podcaster. Um, So, I think when... I got excited about the birthing scene, Matt, uh, but when, when like, a a kangaroo or something has a baby, I think what happens is that it, you know, not not to get too uh, inside baseball when it comes to biology, but I believe that the tiny, not fully formed baby comes out you know where it normally comes out from and then it crawls up into the pouch and it hangs out in the pouch and that's where it continues to grow into its full size i get that but also come on like but also (laughs) like did we need to see jerboa lay down on her back and spread her legs to, to reveal her werewolf hairy cooch just to see uh, this fucking like 
fucking chicken nugget no. all out. In fact, I, I wrote down that this scene was entirely too erotic. It was like uncomfortably erotic. This birth yeah. scene in the barn where she where a tiny chicken nugget baby crawls out of her cooch and right up into that little hairy pouch on oh, her stomach. Yeah. And it just and she's and she's covered in sweat again. And it's just yeah. the way it was shot, it, it's really like they were they thought it was like sexy. And I was like, there's nothing sexy going on here. At um all. I feel like that is the that is the scene that tends to stick out in people's memories of those who have braved this movie um and i don't know if now is the right time to give a fun fact about the the production of that scene uh but it's possible that philippe mora may have killed a mouse while making this scene what inconclusive okay so so they tried putting a so i've heard two accounts the one i've heard is that they tried to put a a mouse in a little rubber costume to make it look like a little werewolf fetus and they were gonna try to have the mouse crawl into the pouch and one account that i've heard is that the 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 mouse was simply uncooperative and it had to be filmed backwards in order to make it look like it was actually entering the pouch but then another thing that i read said that it was a petrified mouse that was already dead that i guess they had like on a string or something and then another thing i read definitely implied that the mouse was killed in the making of this (laughs) movie Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a lot to take in. I know that's a lot to take in. Uh, yeah, I, I think he did say uh, in, a, in a bit of a cheeky way that this was the, that was the first and last time he would ever direct a mouse. I just, I'm at a loss for words because just knowing that scene and how this scene looks and how this scene plays out, there's there's no reason. Who Who even had the idea of putting a fucking mouse inside of a, uh, a little rubber in a little costume that's so weird man oh they also they also tried to apparently put makeup on like an actual human baby for like for when the, her baby gets a little bit older right. and that didn't work either so it's just this puppet monstrosity from hell <laughs> I, I do like when uh when when donnie shows up at, at uh you know at the uh the village or whatever and she's like there with this baby in the pouch his reaction is literally just, he just smiling. And I'm just like, yeah. how, how are you just not like, I get me the fuck out of here. This girl that I just had sex with just gave birth to this slimy, hairy yeah. baby hanging out in her hairy cooch pouch. I, Oh my God. I, that, that baby, uh, that baby puppet is an absolute nightmare. nightmare and cool. if anyone, uh, it, it is nightmare fuel so much. I would say that it's worse than the animatronic baby in uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, which if anyone <laughs> has not seen that, I've watched it for you. Uh, but please do yourself a favor and go right now to Google or whatever search engine that you use and please look up Breaking Dawn animatronic baby and just it's nightmare fuel. Uh, but anyway, that was a little side note, but it, it reminded me of, of that. <laughs> Um, I want to jump on this real quick since we're talking about uh, the werewolf baby. We just talked about Kendi, the Bushman, who turns into the cool uh, werewolf uh, 
travel guy, then turns into a, a fucking yes. werewolf skeleton. Um, Philo, in his weird moment of redemption, uh, prays to the, what, what do they call it? The phantom werewolf god? I think so. But uh, yeah. he, he, he literally prays to this, to what they call the phantom to make him the big one. And then, folks, the next thing you know, Philo turns in, like, we don't see his body, we just see his head. But Thilo turns into like a fucking like King Kong size werewolf, and like shoves his head into the into the tent of these military guys that's hunting them down, and kills one, which sets off a fucking rocket launcher, which blows up the other one, and the most coolest and craziest, probably the second coolest scene in the entire fucking movie. Um, but it's also just another like Wolfzilla it's pretty wolf awesome. just happened thing. Um, I want to throw out that the president and the military and government wants these werewolves eradicated. And so at one point they said, send in uh, the Omega team. And then the Omega team just ends up being two dudes and like some weird fatigues that's hunting werewolves that gets taken out by fucking Thilo as Wolfzilla. So I, I guess the A team was, uh, was too busy. Yeah. If you, nobody could find them. Let me let me do a quick roster, okay? Uh, real quick before we move on to final moments. Um, so we've got... I feel like I'm doing Drip Bob's drive-in totals here. We've got one werewolf baby. Yeah, and it's just characters. <laughs> uh, one werewolf baby. One werewolf with pouch. Um, Tasmanian tiger werewolf. Uh, three werewolf nuns. A werewolf Russian ballerina. Uh, 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 Wolfzilla, an Omega team, a homophobic president, which we haven't technically talked about yet. Any, is there anything else that I'm leaving out? Yeah, like I, I guess the 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 Alfred Hitchcock wannabe horror director who's briefly in it, but is very fun. Uh, and that's about it. <laughs> so I feel like we're doing like a, a circle right back to where we were at the very beginning. Just kind of cool way to close it oh i guess a decent way to close off this fucking bad shit movie um the president so we're back to him <laughs> again mr president we don't know if he's the president of the united states the president of australia or just whatever um but in all the what the fuckery of this movie uh so our russian ballerina is in love with philo the raping stepfather of jerboa and then philo sacrifices himself turning into Wolfzilla to kill the, the Omega team that was sent to kill them. So after his death, Olga, the Russian werewolf ballerina, then falls in love with our other protagonist, which is Beckmeyer. And then so they hook up and they decide to continue living together in the, in the, in the bush of Australia, where then she becomes pregnant with Beckmeyer's baby and they have a daughter. So meanwhile, Beckmeyer and Russian ballerina have daughter, and they're raising it alongside Draboa and Donnie with their son living happily ever after in the bush of Australia. And then we flash forward to a handful of years later, where now Draboa and Donnie have moved back to Sydney to live under new identities as uh, filmmakers. And Beckmeyer's buddy shows up and was like, 
Hey, I'm so glad I found you. Since you've been gone, there was a fucking werewolf war that broke out between humans and werewolves. And evidently it was just like a bloodbath <laughs> for numerous years. And finally, one day the president realized the werewolves aren't so bad. We should all live happily ever after. And that, and then Beckmeyer's like, oh, okay. And they just fucking pack their bags, move back to Sydney, and where at the end we see them living in a fucking mansion, watching TV, where we see Jerboa on TV accepting an award for a movie that she was in, and the lights from all the cameras and the paparazzi make her transform as a werewolf on live television. Thus concludes the Howling Three, the marsupials. I cannot believe that there is that much exposition in just a single conversation. I'd I'd fucking forgotten completely that that was that the werewolf human war of Australia happened. And it's like, where's that movie? I was that that even Australia because I almost took it as like a fucking world, like a WW. A worldwide werewolf war. <laughs> I don't so that's incredible, and I'd completely forgotten about. My favorite thing, though, is you know I, I don't like to get too um, I don't like to get too nitpicky about like real world logic when it comes to movies. I know that you know in a right. movie you kind of got to bend things a little bit in order to get the plot going, but I cannot let go. The fact that Jerboa Jerboa is now a famous, um, famous actor, famous enough that she's being given an award, right? And yet somehow this is the first time she has ever been exposed to the flashing Camera. lights of the paparazzi. It's like, how is this the first time that she has accidentally been triggered? To do- which that's another thing we didn't fully cover is that the flashing lights trigger their right. uh, their transformation. Yeah, when, well, I mean, so that was just, I don't know why. You have to leave shit out like that when it's just so fucking much to cover. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's even more that we haven't even said because I just don't, I don't even know. I don't even remember because it's just so much. Again, again like, it's funny because I said on the last episode that, that the whole point of our show is not to do like a technical review of the movie it's more of us just talking about the movie but i feel like this might be the our one and only movie where we're we try to talk about everything that happened just because it sounds like something you would make up like everything that's come out of our mouths on this episode sounds so fucking made up that it's impossible for us to, yeah. talk, to just talk about all of it yeah it's it's a little it's a little all over the place and and you know one thing one thing i did want to say is that you know if you if you've if you're listening to this and you've made it this far and you have not seen the movie and you still want to, um, it is as of the time of us recording this, it is available on Amazon prime video. So if you have an Amazon prime, uh, account or, you know, just, just get the, just get the login info from a friend or a relative, you know, you don't have to give them your money. Yeah. You could just watch it. Um, and Probably it's there and it, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'll yeah, we'll give you our login. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I, before we move on to uh, to our, our last categories, I'm just going to end the final talks of, of of what the movie's about with this. When Beckmeyer decides to stay in in the 
in, in the outback with his uh, with his new Russian werewolf bride. Um, his buddy, the other professor, goes back to Mr. President to tell him, you know, Beckmeyer is staying with the, you know, staying there. Uh, he's 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 now shacked up with uh, with a werewolf. To which the president replies, uh, "Is is it female?" And the guy says, "Yes." And the president, and the president says, "Well, thank God for that." I love. That's just <laughs> actually, you know what? That might be the most realistic part of this whole movie because I feel like a homophobe would rather that you are sleeping with a werewolf than somebody of the of the same gender as you. You know what? It, you're you're absolutely right because I'm sitting here just thinking of the world now and how if werewolves actually existed that would probably still be the case with a lot of fucking assholes yes i'm i'm absolutely sure of it so you know while that is absolutely hilarious to hear in a line it's weirdly and unfortunately the most believable part absolutely all right well you know what we just spent uh exactly an hour and a half breaking the fucking movie down um Let's let's move on. Um, I do want I do want to give a shout out real quick. So I, I talked about Barry Otto, who played uh, Professor Beckmeyer earlier. How he's in one of my all time favorite uh, Marvel movies. Um, he's actually in my favorite Punisher movie, which is the original nineteen eighty nine Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. Uh, he plays. Uh, oh, wow! Yeah, that, he plays that's right. Sidekick. I thought I saw that on his IMDb. Yeah, he plays uh, the sidekick, which in. This movie, I forget what his name was in the Dolph Lundgren movie, but his character is technically the character of uh, of Microchip, which is a character from the comic books and stuff. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, I actually do love him in that movie. Um, that is so cool. Also, I want to bring up this. Uh, I know I'm, I didn't bring it up on our last episode when we talked about Howling 2, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, so the executive producer of not only this movie... Um, Stephen Lane, he was the executive producer of Howling 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And then he skipped part 7 and then returned to be the executive producer for part 8. And was also the executive producer for uh, Lawnmower Man 1 and 2 and Dean Koontz's Vampire. I'm sorry, Dean Koontz's Phantoms. So, wow. But that's kind of it. That's like the only movies this guy's executive producer of. And so it was such a weird, weird lineup. Yeah, you know he had a he had a thing, and he just stuck with it. And good, good on him. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, so I mean, we've already we've already talked a little bit um, about Philippe Mora, and um, shoot, I can't remember the name of the writer. I'm gonna look it up. I'm bad, bad podcaster. Um, but I wanted to just say that once again, similar to uh, similar to part two that the original writer of the of the novels which was Gary Brandner Gary Brandner who wrote the Howling novels um not only did he uh assist in the writing of the Howling 2 movie but he also assisted in writing the script for the Howling 3 even though once again it uh has nothing to do with the book the Howling 3 um so it seems like he and Philippe Mora are just this weird tag team where for some reason he, the guy is just like, yeah, you can adapt my books into movies that have nothing to do with the book at all. 
Yeah, I wouldn't for sure if Bradner had had actually written this one because I know in the, in the in the credits it says based on his books, but I wouldn't for sure if he actually lent a hand again this time to the script, which I don't know. It blows my fucking mind either way if he did or. He didn't. Yeah, it's not so he. I, I also noticed that he wasn't in the in the credits, but when you look up the movie, like on Wikipedia and IMDb, he's he's credited as as a co-writer. Wow. So I, I don't know if that's just because he wrote the book that happened to have I don't know, but he definitely had his hand in it. Um, and in it, another fun fact that I read was that uh, Philippe Mora was a little um, a little upset with how the the studio treated the howling two after he like handed it off to them. Apparently they added in a bunch of shots of, of boobs that he did not want. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true, Uh, but, (laughs) but apparently he didn't, he wasn't a fan of that. And so I, I think, I think part of this movie, he claims that part of this, of the howling three was, kind of poking fun at the film industry uh but again i don't know if i buy that completely i uh, feel like it just wasn't it's like i just feel like it's really easy to say after the fact that like oh it was satire or, oh it was a comedy when it's like oh, maybe it just maybe you just didn't make a great movie but that's okay <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to bring up exactly what i said on last episode where I said it about part two, but it, it makes even more sense for part three. That this movie literally comes off as a movie that looks and feels like it had a non-English speaking director with an English or you know an English speaking uh, yes cast because of all the weirdness and shit. And then if you remember, I actually compared um, Howling Two a little bit to Troll Two. But I feel like mm-hmm. you can do that comparison even more so with Howling 3, just in its tone and its overall weirdness. And also, like, you know, Troll 2, you've got your famous uh, Nilbog, the town of Nilbog, which is goblin spelled backwards. And in this movie, you've got the village of Flo, which is wolf spelled backwards. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had talked about how it'd be really great to do, um, like once a year, do like an annual, like, Howling 2 uh, get together where everybody gets together and watches the movie. <clears throat> How great would a uh, a Troll Two Howling Three marathon be? Oh, that would be one hell of a double feature. Like, um, I think I think you definitely want to do the Howling Three first, um, and then lead into because I mean the Troll Two Troll Two's got to be the main event, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think that that having I think having those two back to back would be really fun. I I also could see just doing a double feature of the Howling 2 and the Howling 3 uh, with a bunch of people and just popcorn and, and beer and just everybody yells at the screen. Like it would, that would be a blast. This is similar to the second movie. This is definitely a movie that you want to watch with, with other people. Um, unlike how you and I watched it, which was to completely alone and in silence. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we talked a lot about Felipe Mora on last episode. There was not a lot of ground to, to cover talking about him. However, I do want to bring up, you know, like I said, I usually leave uh, the detective work to you to look up shit and find out some shit. Um, However, I did look up one fucking thing because I was like, well, we've got to talk about Felipe Mora again. So I was like, I got to find something new. What can I dig up? And oh my fucking God. So 
I don't know what's happening. I don't know what stages it's in. I don't know if it's even still happening. But as of 2017, Felipe Mora was working on a movie. Okay? He was working on a movie starring Max Fairchild, who played Thilo. And the title of this fucking movie is The Growling. Yep. I, yep, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I, I found that earlier and I meant to write it down and then I forgot. Uh, so I saw that on IMDb and I was like, wait, what, The the Growling starring Max Fairchild directed by Philippe Mora? So I, I don't know. Again, there hasn't been an update since 2017, so I have right. no idea what's happening with that. But how I great would God it be if it... Philippe Mora in 2021 is like all right i'm making my comeback we're, we're doing a call back to the howling the two growling. howling three and we're gonna call it the growling i i just it, it's gotta be right it's gotta be uh a riff on howling it's gotta be there's there's no way around it it absolutely there's no there's it would be too much of a coincidence for him to be directing a movie called the growling that is starring somebody that was in the howling three right there's there's just i don't know um but felipe you're you're out there so i don't make it happen bring it bring it Please. make it happen Please. i know we've been ragging on your movie but it's actually very fun and and we wouldn't basically the way i see it is that um if the movie was completely boring like we wouldn't be talking about a movie that's not worth talking about you right. know so i think that's where the positives come in you know and you know you mentioned you know we we don't want to spend each episode just ragging on the movie but all of the things that we're ragging on is it's actually what makes it so charming and it's what makes these things uh stick in our memories oh yeah it's why we keep going back and watching them again um there's a there's this weird there's this weird fine line between bad and good and sometimes you can you can go so far into the bad side that it just loops back around and it becomes good again because mediocre movies they just come and go and everybody forgets about them right. but we're still talking about the howling three marsupials like oh my 30 God. years yeah. later you know that's why i really wanted to our first two episodes to be this double feature um it's literally because like i grew up with these movies um it's it's not only, like I said last episode, is it like one of the only wearable franchises, but it's my favorite wearable franchise. And um, as much as like this movie just fucking blows my mind and not in a good way, and it, and it just is complete what the fuck, you got to remember what I said at the beginning is this is like probably like the thousandth time I've watched this movie. I do keep coming back because it is mm-hmm. batshit crazy. And again, you, you'll probably hear me say this a million times if you continue listening to our show, but it's just fun. And I love fun movies. Um, and I feel like that's something that's missing yeah. in movies nowadays is, you know, uh, horror movies are a dime a dozen now. I mean, a- anybody with even like a half decent phone is out here fucking shooting a movie. And I'm all for that. I think that's amazing. But I think the the heart and soul of what made movies fun has been kind of lost. And like you said, you know, we've been ragging on this movie, but it's not so much that we're ragging on it and making fun of it. It's just that it is a terrible movie, but it's a fun, terrible movie. And, uh, you know, yeah, it brings me to the point, like we, there's so many filmmakers, myself included, like, I'm not going to like pretend that I don't make some terrible stuff, but sometimes like I try to inject fun into my terrible stuff. And, you know, a lot of people will try to emulate the eighties with their movies. A lot of movies are set in the eighties. 
They try to make it look like 80s. And while that's awesome and that's fun to try to make and emulate the 80s, the reason it never quite works is because I think people are forgetting the fun aspect of it. So that's what I say to you. Mm-hmm. Don't go into Howling 3 expecting a masterpiece because it is far beyond a masterpiece. It is it is a dumpster fire of a movie. But fuck, it is fun. Again, where else are you going to find yeah. werewolf nuns, uh, you know, hot chicks with a kangaroo pouch with her werewolf baby in it, uh, Russian ballerina werewolves, it, you know, it's, just, it's a fun fucking movie. It's completely batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's a blast. Yeah, I, I really like what you said about, you know, the fun of a movie. And, I, you know, a lot of horror movies of, of recent times missing the fun aspect. And I think kind of what we're seeing happening is that um, on one hand, you know, horror is becoming more of a generally accepted genre. It's not a dirty word anymore. Right. It's not skeezy and, and scummy to the to you know to the general public anymore and i think we're seeing a lot of um more serious maybe more kind of art housey type directors um dabbling in horror and using it to really beautifully like explore these themes of grief and trauma and all of these things and i love uh i love horror movies like that like you know like hereditary and and just movies like that that are really just going there right um but I really, I really don't want us to lose the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's plenty of room for everyone, and and I want to see, I want to see people do something totally batshit insane. Like that's why I'm really excited about this this movie porno that I was talking about earlier. You know, again, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't speak to it exactly. But just something about that, like that's such a ridiculous premise, right. and it just sounds fun. And so I think, um, yeah, I mean, I would say. To, you know, anybody that's, you know, trying to, to make movies, trying to make horror movies, you know, don't forget the fun because because that's what that's what we're coming to see most of the time is to have a good time. So, yeah, you can I, I mentioned this in the in the last episode just about how forgiving and accepting the horror community is if we can tell that you had passion and that you enjoyed making it. So don't get so bogged down and like oh this is gonna be silly or cheesy or people aren't gonna like it because just just have fun just make it fun if it sucks make it fun and we'll love it (laughs) yeah you know what and the funny thing is and this is the only advice i would give if don't try to make your movie fun don't try but just have fun if you are having fun making it that that is going that is going to come through um but there's a lot of people who try to make the movie fun and it just comes off just bad and, and, and forced and yeah, yeah, just have fun with it. And I, you know, I, I will tip my hat to Felipe Mora. I think, you know, no matter what he might say now, dead mice, all, you know, dead mice and werewolf suits to the side. I think there was fun had <laughs> making this movie and howling too. Um, and I, even though, like I said, I shit all yeah. over the movie. I still, have fun watching it. Yeah, I mean, I would still rather watch this movie than a lot of the the boring and sad movies that get nominated for Oscars every year. Hot take. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's not a hot take, but I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, re- you know, real quick, kind of before we give our final thoughts here, I did want to talk about uh, just kind of some of the special effects yeah. in in this movie and and kind of what your take on a lot of that is because so. 
with this movie being PG-13, there is a lot less uh, gore. So we don't get a lot of like gore effects, but we right. do get some interesting werewolf effects in, in both real and imagined and movie within a movie effects. Um, but yeah, what, what did you think about the, the effects here? Okay, so the, uh, the actual werewolf, werewolves and the the movie the actual movie that we're watching the you know the, I, I feel like that werewolf makeup is terrible um everything like mm-hmm. werewolf nuns look like store-bought um prosthetics that were just slapped on the face um the the the, the only good werewolves look like dog mask uh they're, they're just not very good however i find it mind-boggling that the two movies within the movie the movie that uh, Donnie and Jerboa are working on, which is Shapeshifters Part 8. Um, the werewolves that's on that movie, which are literally supposed to be people in makeup, look fucking cool as shit. And then the werewolf and yeah. the movie that they go see in the theater, which is called It Came From Uranus, which looks like a fucking trauma movie. Ha- even though it's cartoony and over the top, it's so fucking cool looking. Um, and those effects are cool. So I don't, I don't understand the the thought process that they were going with with doing that but uh yeah it, it you know i we talked about howling 2 being hit and miss with the makeup but this movie was more way more miss than it was hit for sure yeah i think um you know the i thought that within the actual movie not the movies within a movie but within the actual movie the werewolves looked the best when they were like mid transition so like i feel like i don't recall jerboa ever actually going full like i'm a wolf now and i think that was a good thing like i i think that looked good or it's like she you know she's got the fangs and the eyes and a little bit of like hair popping up everywhere and it's like she's changed and she's monstrous but like to me that looks a lot better than just like a rubber mask yeah shoved on somebody's face um i thought the the movie within a movie that it came from uranus so uh mora said that that was his favorite scene to shoot and you can tell i mean it's so goofy it's so fun and they've got these great uh, like prosthetics on this guy's face and it's like bubbling and, and contorting and it looks really good. Like I was actually surprised. Um, it looks like a living cartoon. It's so cool. Yeah, it does. It looks just like a living cartoon. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm surprised that they, it seems like they put all their time and effort into like that. And then when it was time yep. towards the end to have actual full on werewolves, it was just kind of a mess. Um, I do know um, that the the only two effects guys that I know of, I mean, I'm sure there's there's always a lot of more helping hands. Um, uh, but uh, there's uh, Bob McCarran, who uh, who of course worked on Road Warrior and another Australian classic called Razorback. Um, he also worked on Queen of the Dam, and then uh, oh wow, yeah, and then um, I think it was Nick Dorning was the other effects artist, which also uh, Razorback. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Queen of the Damned, and uh, most recent credits would be uh, Ghost Rider and uh, I Frankenstein. Um, so, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, these, these people are they're, they'll. St- so you saying Razorback just triggered a memory of something that I read. A fun fact. Um. So so, isn't Razorback about like a like a giant boar warthog, that like yeah. kills everybody? It's like a monster boar warthog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. When Thilo becomes like Mondo Wolf and they yeah. have the head 
comes through the tent. Yes. Apparently that head is the head from Razorback. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I meant to I meant to bring that up. It, it is 100% the head of Razorback. And if you pause it, you can even tell um, that it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually why I didn't, like, I, I, I said it was cool that Thyler turns into the Wolfzilla, but I didn't talk about that it looked cool because it's fucking Razorback. They literally just borrowed the same. Yeah, uh, it's cool in that. theory. Um, all right. Well, before before we close this out, uh, I do I do want to bring up something since we're on the effects, uh, the the uh, the effects of the movie. I said on last episode how uh, one of my all time favorite effects artists, Steve Johnson, uh, worked on the effects of uh, a Howling Part Two, and uh, I said that would not be the last time that he would uh, do the effects. And of course he did not do the effects on howling three, because if he did, they would be fucking awesome. But I do want to bring up that uh, Steve Johnson did return to do the effects and howling part four, the original nightmare. And then, and one of my all time favorites, howling six, the freaks. Um, of course, we're not, we're not going to go over those movies anytime in the near future. I would like to maybe do uh, maybe by the end of next year, like a, a fun, uh, maybe live, uh, live podcast where me and Katie talk about howling four and six is like a double feature type, type of thing. Um, but, uh, Love I, it. I'm, I'm just telling you folks right now, you know, we, we ragged about howling three. I still say it's fun. Go check it out. We, we had a lot of fun with howling two. We told you to go check it out. But in the meantime, I, I would say that, um, have yourself maybe like a, a, a quadruple feature, if that's what that's called. Um, definitely check out, uh, howling six, the freaks, it's got some fucking amazing effects work uh, from Steve Johnson. It's the probably one of the coolest uh, storylines when it comes to a Howling sequel. Um, and Howling Four isn't isn't that great. Howling Four is technically a reboot of the first movie, um, and and is more uh, about the book. Oh. Yeah, actually, Howling Four, the original Nightmare, is based more on Bradner's book. Um, however, it's got the okay. yeah, it's got the coolest fucking. Werewolf trans—it's it's got my probably like my third favorite werewolf transformation scene, which also happens to be my all-time favorite melting effect scene. So, okay, well now I have to watch. Yes, this. now you got to check it out. So, folks, that's that's my that's my little quick review. Go watch Howling two, three, four, and well, and six. Check out five uh, also, which you know I think Steve Johnson might have actually. Um, I don't know if he did all the effects for five. I think the same werewolf costume that was used in four was used in five, but that's it. But technically go check out the entire mm. franchise. They're not great, but they're fun. Turn your brain off, pop some popcorn, crack open a beer and have fun with the, the howling franchise for sure. Yeah. That's fun is, you know, it's been the word of the day uh, of the night. And I think, yeah, I, I definitely think, this movie is a mess in a lot of ways. Um, it's another movie where you kind of, like I kind of said earlier, you kind of just got to let it wash over you um, and don't get, don't try to get too bogged down in connecting the dots between the plot points because you will go insane. So this is a movie like you, like you just said, Matt, you know, you turn your brain off, pop some popcorn and you just, you just watch it and it's just a good time. Um, so I, you know, I, I I wouldn't recommend it's not for everybody. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but I would say, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun time. And if you, you know, if you, if you watched the howling two 
and you haven't seen The Howling 3, I feel like if you can hang with The Howling 2, you can hang with this movie. Um, sadly, there aren't a whole lot of um, boobs to keep you keep you focused. But, no. you know, there's, there's, some, there's some really charming points in this movie, some really funny bits of dialogue. Whether it's intentional or not, it's great. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I think about it. I, I think you should. I think I think it's worth a watch if you're into if you're into this kind of movie. Which if you're listening to this, you probably are. Um, then yeah, I would definitely check that out. So at this point, I, I kind of already answered this for you, Matt. Sorry, uh, but you know we're at the, the you know your favorite part of the show, which is how does this movie rank on the TNA scale? Which it, it kind of doesn't, but take it away. <laughs> uh man yeah i i'm gonna have to give this one one and a half stars um it shouldn't even get that for for the, the tna but i'm just giving it that because uh emojin ansley who plays jaboa is fucking beautiful and even though uh yeah we only get the side boob that's covered in hair and remember if you pause it just right you can see it <laughs> that's why i'm giving it one and a half look i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it an extra star just for having six breasts on one woman i like the way you think i do like the way you think yes and i like i said before i wrote down the more the merrier so truly the more the merrier <laughs> uh so is that your is that your final thoughts for the movie yeah i think i think we've i think we've said as much as one can say what about the howling three yep well, I guess that's all that I have for this episode of Video Express. Uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Troma Now. Be sure to subscribe to Troma Now at watch.troma.com and get your first month for free. Also, be on the lookout for Troma's latest film, directed by Lloyd Kaufman. Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. Troma, 46 years of disrupting media. Yes, thank you, Uncle Lloyd. Thank you, Troma. Um, and we also want to thank everybody who tuned into our show tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this. Um, you know, if you. We want to make this show as best as it can be. So if you have any suggestions, if you have ideas of a movie that we should cover, um, you know, feel free to, to hit us up. At, at, at the time of us recording this, we don't have all of our social media and whatnot set up. But don't worry. By the time this episode comes out, I will have all the links and everything ready. So please tell us your thoughts. Um, let us know what you think. Let us know what we should what we should chat about in the future. Absolutely. We look forward to uh, doing more episodes. Um and stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be doing these every uh, every two weeks. So bi-weekly, we'll be releasing a new episode. Um, and we'll give you a little taste right now of what episode three is going to be. Before the horror of Halloween. Before the fear of Friday the 13th. Before the evil of a nightmare on Elm Street. Before them all. There was popcorn. Buy a bag. Go home in a box. All right, folks. So until next time, just remember, please be kind. Rewind. But most importantly, just be kind. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Video Express. Bye. Bye.